by me if any man enter in. And there is no other way to be saved. And that's the gospel that we're called to preach. It will be unpopular. Uh, People want us to be broad-minded. They want us to give fair play and to uh, look at comparative religions. That's the new term now in seminaries. Instead of looking at cults and, uh, and false religions, they are called comparative religions. And it's like we all get down in a little circle, and we have a parley, and we take the good of this, and the good of that, and the good of each one, and we try and build some kind of a, a, of a semblance of religion that will reach God. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. It is a privilege and an honor to bring you the message of God's Word today, and I pray that you will open your Bible at 2 Kings chapter 6. The theme of our message today is when life loses its cutting edge. 2 Kings chapter 6, and we read here that, and one was felling a beam. The axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place, and he cut down a stick, cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Here is a message of restoration of lost power. And oh boy, does that ever apply to our hearts from time to time. And I trust that today God will minister to your heart if you have lost your cutting edge and your ability to serve God. There is blessing and help. There is restoration and grace. We'll close the program today with another Mark moment, and I trust you'll join with us there as well. We'll be looking at Matthew whose other name was Levi. It's always a privilege to bring you the message of the gospel, and I trust that today you'll stay tuned, that the Lord will have that right word for your heart and lead you into the confidence in knowing your own salvation through faith in our Lord Jesus. In these seven verses, we have the scene of a, an Old Testament seminary It's the school of the prophets, and it is somewhere in the area of Gilgal, somewhere in the area of Jordan, down on that uh, that riverside, that fertile valley. If you look at it on the map, that you will see that there was greenery there, and we will learn from this passage that there were trees and forestation to some degree. Now, this seminary needed room to grow. And it's always a good thing whenever seminaries need room to grow. There's not enough space. And they decided that they were going to move out and build anew. And so this is certainly very encouraging. I'd ask you to pray for our seminary uh, that this would be their problem, that they would need more room and that there would be such an increase that they would need to move out. Also, 
these young prophets were willing to build for themselves. They were by no no means monks who expected it all to be done for them. They were willing to get their shoulder to the very work, and they were very content with a very simple structure. Uh, They were to each take a beam, a plank, carry it along, get it into place, and see that structure grow. And they were willing to go down to the woods and to take their axe or axes. There's only one that is mentioned right here, so I'm not sure if every man had an axe or just one uh, young prophet had an axe. But they were willing to go and cut down trees for themselves. You couldn't just phone up uh, Home Depot and ask for a delivery of lumber or pick it up yourself, uh, all sawed into beautiful shape and ready to put together. They had to go and cut down the tree, get them into plank shape, and and uh, cut them all to size. So you can imagine the labor that was involved for these, what were supposed to be theology students. Now, if you ever shake the hand of a theology student, it's usually white and soft. But these fellows, they were willing to work. And they had no power drills. They had no power machines. They were doing it all manually. What else I notice here is that they invited Elisha to come and join them in the work. Now, it's always good when you get that rapport between the old guy and the young guys that they are willing to have him along and perhaps some of his supervision and maybe a little bit of his muscle power if he's able And so there was a good rapport between Elisha and these young prophets, and they invited him along to go down with them to the woods and to see this construction of their new school. They certainly wanted Elisha's blessing. They knew that this man had something from God. They knew that this man was really the key to the future. And if they had Elisha's blessing, they would certainly have God's blessing. Now, they wanted his presence. You'll see there in the third verse, and one said, be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So, there is a good rapport, there is a good response, and they have the blessing, they have the presence of this mighty man of God, this man, Elisha. Now, this is a very good commendation for Elisha as well. He didn't say, oh, no, I'm past that. It's up to you young guys to go down there and do the work all by yourself. You'll see the interest that he had in the future of this young seminary and these young men, and he wanted to be their encourager. He wanted to be in the midst of the work. And that's, that's the heart of encouraging. You can't encourage from the sidelines. That's why we're a little bit worried about webcast viewing. People who let us know, well, I joined your meeting for a while and it was great. But to us, we are in the midst of the battle. We are in the midst of the work of seeking to maintain the meetings, the preaching, the work of building up the gospel church. And you can really only do it by getting down into the midst. And we see this in the life of Elisha. Now, some attribute this 
blessing that was certainly taking place. When you see young prophets busy wanting to extend and expand, and we see Elisha encouraging them in the work, many attribute this to the fact that Gehazi was now offside. Now, Gehazi had been Elisha's servant for a considerable time, and he had been his, well, I wouldn't say born servant, but he certainly was his his helper along the way. Now, there's a very sad incident after the healing of Naaman, and you remember that Elisha would not take money. He would not take anything in remuneration, and he did not want Naaman going back to Syria and said he was healed for money. But Gehazi, he got other ideas in his head, and he ran after uh, Naaman, and he took the money, and he hid the money, and he got himself into a place where he was exposed for fraud and all the rest of it, and he ended up with the disease of leprosy that Naaman had. A sad story. And it's always sad when one who has been involved in God's work gets sidelined or is harmed and is no longer involved in God's work. That ought to be a lament. But God has his way of weeding out. God has his way of cleaning up. And we see now with Gehazi off to the side that there is certainly a a marvel of blessing. Now, the work got going, and there was the sound of the swinging of axes in the forest. You can just imagine this situation. It's all action. And they're all about getting the work done. Now, I take some liberty there. We're only told about one axe. But I think in the law of averages, in any prosperous nation, there ought to be more than one axe. There ought to be a, a few that could go down together and get uh, their backs into the work and see those trees chopped down and the lumber come forth. Now, the incident that happened, this flying of the head of the axe, was no strange thing in Bible times. If you study the book of Deuteronomy, you will find that there was a provision made for manslaughter where someone may be mortally wounded in this very manner, by an axe flying off a shaft and injuring someone. And You've heard of the cities of refuge, that that person who wounded or killed someone in that way, until the whole matter settled, he would run to the city of refuge in case someone took immediate revenge upon him. And so you can imagine this matter of axes wounding and even mortally wounding people, that it was a common enough thing. And so this young student's got an axe in his hand, and he's chopping away, and something strange happens. Now, I think of myself doing this. Usually what happens when the head comes off, you miss the thing completely. It's not when you hit the wood solid. Now, chopping for a long time may make it come loose, but it's that one time when you swing, and you swing short, and the axe doesn't hit the tree at all and it comes, really comes around full circle, and the axe goes up into the air, and you can see how dangerous that moment might be. 
mostly not to the woodcutter himself, but anyone standing by. And in this case, the axe head went up in the air, landed in the water, and sank. You can just see the bubbles right there in the water. It was a disappointing moment, and the cry went up, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. And then the miracle happened, and in the providence of God, Elisha was right there. You see the benefit of not leaving the old person behind? Bring him along. Keep him close. And he threw a stick into the water, raised it to swim. Now, modernists would say he hooked it with the stick. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that when the stick touched the surface of the water, that the axe head did swim. And there is certainly a message in this account and this event under this title. Now, before I give you the title, I want to say that when I planned to preach on this, I felt like turning the page because I said, there's no way that I'm going to get a sermon out of this. I went to Matthew Henry, and I read what he had to say, some nice general comments, but it certainly wasn't material for a sermon. I thought about it, and I thought, I'm never going to get a message out of this. And then I got on my knees, and I prayed. And I want to say to you tonight that it's been a good while since God has written a message more definitely on my own heart than this one. The title is this, When Life Loses Its Cutting Edge. Now, there is this text and event, and I am the one who cries out, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. This is when God's work and when the life of God's people become blunt, and there's much action and there's much activity and much doing. There's no results. There's no increase. This is one of those sermons that I've had to preach to my own heart and had to get on my knees repeatedly and weep and pray and ask God for grace that He would help me to preach this honestly. Now, I could skirt the issues. I could push things under the rug. I could pretend all is well, but I have to join this young man and say, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. I begin here with the troubling admission. We have lost our cutting power. We're like that lumberjack, novice as he might be, mediocre at his work as he may be. But in the midst of his chopping, in the midst of his working, somehow he has lost the cutting edge. It's gone. And we'll see in a minute he can't get it back himself. We expend a lot of labor, and we do, I think, everything we possibly can in this church to proclaim the gospel and expand the kingdom of God but we have lost. This is a, a humbling, troubling admission. We have lost our cutting edge. What is the evidence 
when you lose your cutting edge, when no souls are being saved, when there are no converts in the church, when you preach a full year or more, and you cannot put your finger on one person who has been transformed by the power of the gospel. When there are few answers to prayer, I won't be so black as to say there are no answers to prayer, but when there are few answers to prayer, we pray and pray and pray, and where are the answers? When there are no additions to the church, it seems that we add a few and lose a few and add a few and lose a few and add a few and lose a few, and that's the story of the church year in and year out. No encouragement from the Lord. Now, I'm not blaming God, and I'm not turning my back on God. I'm not saying that God is not good and gracious and merciful. We wouldn't be here tonight if God was not good to us and blessing in many, many ways. But I've been reading in the book of Second Chronicles, and I've been reading a number of the kings, and you know how one king, there was days of power, victory, blessing, and then the next king, defeat. And usually there's some reason. In Second Chronicles 12, 12, we read about Rehoboam, that when he humbled himself and sought the Lord, things went well. Things went well. Can we honestly say tonight as a church that things are going well? Are we the church that we ought to be for God? Are we seeing men and women blessed and helped and increased in God? I think that we have more defeats than we have victories. We have to confess that our power was never our own. Alas, for it was borrowed. This axe head never belonged to this student prophet. He borrowed it. He had it for a short while, and he's lost it. And that's our admission. Whatever God gave us at any time in our Christian life and walk and service, it was God that gave it. But alas, Master, it's lost. The power of the Spirit of God upon the Christian and upon the church and upon the preacher is all given. It's given. It's not our own. It's God's gift. It's God's grace. And God never gives up control of it. And we have none of His power in our own right. We also have to confess that we cannot get the axe head back ourselves. That surely describes us. This man did not try to reach the axe head. I don't know the depth of the water. I don't know if it was fast-running water. I don't know all those circumstances. But it appears that he just saw the place where it dived in, and that was it up. He could not get it back himself. We've got to realize tonight as Christians and servants and Bible believers and disciples of Christ that things are not in our control. We cannot manipulate the Holy Ghost. The power and the blessing of the Spirit of God is not in our hands. It is God's grace that is granted and is given. 
and all our administration and all our catechisms and all our BCOs and all our presbytery meetings and all our organization and all our endeavors of human activity cannot produce the power and anointing of the Spirit of God. It is God-given, and we can't get it back by human means. That's a very troubling admission, and it drives us to complete dependence and complete submission to what God is pleased to do. But tonight we need to make this troubling admission, and we need to be awakened to the reality that we have lost the power of God. I don't want to be guilty tonight of overanalyzing. I don't want to say, well, it's because of this, and it's because of that, and it's because of whatever. But it ought to be our admission tonight. We greatly need in Christ's church the power of God. This is not just a Cloverdale Free Presbyterian Church problem. It is a denominational problem, and it is a nation and worldwide problem. And certainly in what we call the West, where God in generations ago raised up great ministries and churches and poured out days of revival, we are not seeing them today. And we've got to cry to the Lord, starting with an admission, because it's all about the lack of spiritual power. It's not, well, if we were Baptists, it would be better. If we were Congregationalists, it would be better. If we had some other form of government or some other way of worship, it would be better. The reality is we have lost the cutting edge, and we must start with that admission. listening to Let the Bible Speak, and we turn to another moment in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 13. And the Lord Jesus went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Do you have your taxes done yet? Well, here we have a tax collector. Not all taxmen are equal, and they're not all honest, and they certainly weren't in the days of the Lord. 
The first thing to note is that Jesus took the gospel to men. He did not wait for men to come to him. And he went forth again by the seaside. He took the first step to go out with the gospel. The Lord set the habit of going out to preach. Don't let a week go by without speaking to someone about the gospel. The next thing to note is that the people were drawn to the Lord. The multitude resorted, we're told. It simply means that they got going. They took action. We need to pray for that. That is a form of awakening and stirring among men to seek the good news of Christ and His gospel. I am more and more convinced that we need a spiritual awakening in our communities and cities. And we must pray earnestly for the Lord to work it in hearts. There are a number of seeming strange things in this history of Levi's call to be a disciple. Firstly, there is a seeming strange name, Levi. His more common name was Matthew. In Matthew's gospel, he is referred to Matthew twice. In Mark's gospel, he is Levi. And Once more, he is Matthew. In Luke's gospel, he is Levi once and Matthew once. Why would Mark and Luke call him Levi? They certainly didn't follow Matthew's record of himself. They added this to give facts and color. In Acts, his name is Matthew. That is the prevailing name. He seems to have favored that himself. He's also had a seeming strange call. The Lord Jesus said, follow me. He is called to be a disciple of Christ. But his office and past work were one of such treachery. A tax collector for the Romans? This power corrupted morals. To be a tax collector was to sell your soul, your dignity, your more, your loyalty, to your nation and become a rich, well-to-do loner, a cast-out of Jewish society. He was therefore a poor candidate to be a Christian and an apostle. Yes, the call of God is as strange as grace. Grace operates in all sorts of human hearts. God can use all sorts of sinners. The power of Matthew's repentance and new life would all the more demonstrate the power of the gospel to change hearts and lives. The fact that he obeyed so swiftly shows the power of the Lord to turn to man's heart in an instant to serve him. Yes, grace is strange. New life in Christ is strange. It is so strange that it is great. Matthew himself must have counted it strange. He referred to himself among the list of disciples as Matthew the Publican. He never got over being called to serve the Lord after a life of corruption in carnal, worldly things. That is the name Matthew or Levi. And that is our moment in Mark. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived 
by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca, CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the homepage of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187 9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak. Mm-hmm.